You are uh, listening to one of the very earliest broadcasts of the Giant Steps podcast. I am your host, Doug Van Dorn, and with me is my cohort in crime, Mr. Rudy Landa. We are, we're also seen, not just heard. We are also seen and not just That's heard. Right. That is correct. That's right. <laughs> Trying out a new platform as we experiment with different ways of getting this podcast under underway. And today we're going to be talking to a longtime friend of mine uh, who contacted me uh, about two weeks ago to tell me a story. He said, I got to tell you the story, a supernatural weird story. And he actually wanted to go on a, another podcast. And I said, hey, man, I'm starting a podcast myself. Why don't you come and do it on mine? And so he said, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. So, so he's making uh, his debut as well. He is making his debut as well. Yep. That's right. Yep. Well, let's bring in, and his name is? His name is Malachi. That's a, that's a cool name. Let's bring it him in. It's an awesome name. I was teased so bad as a kid. I mean, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Mr. Malachi Martin. Oh, I mean, Malachi yeah, School. Man, I love Martin. He's great. I know. We got to talk about him a little bit at some point today, I suppose. <laughs> Definitely. He overlaps with what we're doing. So uh, yeah. Malachi and I met... Um, it's been a long time ago, 15, maybe 20 years ago. About somewhere around there. I think I think my recollection is that we were on this is after the AOL chat days. And uh, I, I started getting on this program called Pal Talk. And we go in these chat rooms and uh, and you couldn't believe it because you could actually talk to somebody live <laughs> over the Internet. Right. Right. It so wasn't I think just that's a board. You had to wait, you know three hours for somebody to respond. You can actually do it live. It was amazing. It was an amazing thing. Yep. So Malachi, um, I, I would like for you to tell people a little bit about um, your kind of your story, who you are, where you're from. And also I'd like to have you tell, you know, about, about, about your family and also uh, how you met your wife. Cause it's a sure. great story. Sure. Uh, let me try to remember everything. I'm getting up there in age. So I'll try to remember all the details. Uh, I am a, uh, military vet. Um, I spent um, uh, a lot of time, or, or I'm a military brat. That's where I really started. Um, so I was, you know, born, parents in the military, moved around uh, everywhere. I went to about like 15, 20 schools. I can't, I, I stopped counting after a while and um, spent time overseas in, in um, the Far East and Philippines and um, Okinawa. And that was pretty much my childhood, just moving around. Uh, we were believers, so we, we would go to, to church, to church, to church as we'd move around. So I have a really good experience in a whole wide swath of different uh, churches. And um, when I was at you know, my late teens, I was like, you know, I, I can't work at a video arcade my whole life. So I guess I better join, join the military. Uh, and for me, it was just like going home. It's like, you know, this, this is, you know, this is my groove. And so I joined and um, I started out uh, in, in uh, as an Arabic linguist, and uh, I cross-trained into uh, psychiatry, so, so a mental health technician. And it was a unique opportunity because during that time, the military, the, the Air Force, um, did have some inpatient units. It had about three of them across the nation. And uh, Keesler Air Force Base is where um, I was stationed. It was, it was one of those inpatient units. So um, that's my... Yeah, and, and that was, and I got out about 2003. Um, Y'all still hear me? Because I hear a, a, a okay. Uh, so that was about 2003. 
is when I got out. Um, I met my wife in 2004 and um, pretty, pretty rapid uh, development as far as our relationship. We went from meeting each other in October of 2004 to proposing in November 2004 and marrying in December 2004. So pretty quick. You don't waste time. Yeah, I know, right? Don't mess around. Really enough, right? <laughs> um, there were interesting circumstances. So um, I had been previously uh, married, uh, and my wife at the time, uh, you know, she kind of uh, fell away from Christ, and um, uh, it was, it was, it was. Uh, she, we tried to, you know, go to the pastor, get everything working. It just for her, just wouldn't work. So. We, she, she, she divorced me, and I was, I had, at this point, I was like, okay, I'm out of the military, I, I don't have any children, I'm single now, I'm just going to be a, a, a hermit and, and be, like, take on some monastic order, be a priest my whole life or something, you know, uh, I'd, I'd resign myself, and okay, you know, no more, I'm not, I'm not a family guy, and, you know. And boy, did the Lord have different plans. So um, it, it was it was in about uh, it was 1999 when I was still in the military that I had um, I had made an adult uh, profession of faith. And uh, uh, I don't think, you know, growing up as, as you know, growing up as a kid in the church, you you don't understand. You understand forgiveness. You understand grace. You do that. But once you leave get on your own and, and look at your life and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm not living how I should, <laughs> you know, this is not, this is not who I am. And, uh, the Lord just, uh, just came into my life in a very, um, undeniable way. And it changed, changed my heart. And, um, one about, I'd say about two years after that, uh, there was a, I was actually right here on the Gulf coast of Mississippi and, there was a concert, an evangelistic concert, and they had some praise and worship music. So me and all my friends and my wife at the time, we went out to this uh, concert. It was on the green. It was outdoors. It was really nice. And after the music, the uh, minister came up. He's an evangelist. And before he gave or he gave his gospel presentation, did a really good job at it. And then he looked at the crowd and he asked, is there anybody here who feels led to the ministry? And um as, and everybody looked at me like, if you don't raise your hand, then you know, you, then we're, we're going to force you up there. So I raised my hand reluctantly. I'm I'm not good on stage, right? So raise my hand. So he calls me up there, and um, he we we pray. He says, so what's what's preventing you from from joining right now? I says, well, I'm in the military, and um, I'm in my enlistment, and I can't just you know up and leave. So he said, well, okay, let's you know let's pray about that. So we pray. And he says, uh, the Lord told me that you're going to have a small window of opportunity to get out of the military, um, that this is what the Lord wants for you, and that uh, you will be tempted for a very large amount of money to stay in, but don't do it. Uh, get out. Uh, he says, you and your wife, uh, you will, you will, there'll be many souls saved, uh, and, and you and your wife will cast out demons and, and all these things. And at the time, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'll take it, sure, you know. And then um, fast forward, uh, in 
2003, I'm up for my reenlistment. A lot of life happened, and um, we 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 fell apart. There there was a miscarriage, and and there was just uh, you know uh, it was just very rough for us. And we hadn't gone to church in, in probably a year at that point. And and I was like, you know, I think I want to I want to I want to reenlist, but I want to go into computers because I have a really high um, recruitment bonus with that. So um, I, I sign up for it, and sure enough, the recruitment bonus is like forty thousand dollars for a sign on. I was like, wow, that's that's more money I've ever had in my life, you know. <coughs> and so I'm sitting there. I went ahead and signed the reenlistment papers. And at the time I was working, I had my own office and, and I was uh, I was at work and it was about two days before I could renege on that and, and roll that back and, and cancel my my reenlistment. And I'm sitting there. And then suddenly I was by myself. It was after hours. Suddenly the, the room felt like it took on about about 30 tons. It just felt so heavy. And there was no one in the room with me, but I, I couldn't help but feel like I need to just get down get low and then this voice <coughs> uh, speaks and it, it and I, it not audibly um and i'm in mental health i know what that means right but <laughs> but not audibly just this resonates and there's this voice and he says you know what i told you to do and then i got all these all these uh all these excuses came to my mind like i I don't know. How would I provide for my family? How would I do this? And then with every single every single excuse that came to mind, the Lord just spoke a, a, a verse, you know, who, who who made the lilies of the valley? How did I how you know, who, who clothed them? Who fed the birds of the air? And I soon realized I'm not going to win this argument. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to do it. And so I hop up, I go over there and, and I. They basically tear up my reenlistment. And then I have to go break the news to my wife at the time, who we had already spent all this money in our heads, you know. And uh, so uh, that was not the answer she 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 was wanting to hear. That's That wasn't good news for her. So I think that might have been one of the things that caused her to, to just kind of walk away. But anyway, I get out of the military, um, and it, it's about – a year afterwards, I'm working at an inpatient unit uh, in in uh, on, on in, in Mississippi. Here, um, I had resigned myself at this point. Like, you know, I'm I'm just going to be single my whole life and just you know just dedicate myself to Christ. And no, I get a um, uh, a phone call from I was I was working. We had there's two sections. There was an, a substance abuse section, and then we had our psychiatric unit. And I was in the substance abuse. And, and the psychiatric nurse, uh, you know, she she gave me a call. She says, hey, uh, can you come over here? We just had this uh, patient come in, and I really think you you should come and talk to her. So I said, <clears throat> okay, sure. So I go over, and there's this this poor girl uh, sitting in the in the day room. And this is about, about 10 o'clock at night, and uh, I hear her story, and, and it's this this really sad story about how you know she was in the military as well. She left um, her fiance broke uh, broke it off with her, and um, she had uh, her she had uh, attempted uh, suicide. But she said she just gave me this amazing story. She says, but when I was there, 
he says, I, I should have been dead, but I was laying there and I just came back to life. And she said, she told me the tale of these two nurses that were taking care of her. One was an atheist and the other one was a believer. And this, this atheist nurse just kind of felt really bad for her. She was in a coma at the time. And he's like, correct. She did. I mean, her heart stopped like twice. So she had, uh, she was, she had a medical background, so she knew exactly what to take. So there was a lot of medications she was on. And, um, she was also, uh, uh, when you look at like VA, um, uh, psychiatric and psych, psych uh, treatment, it's, uh, it's not, it's, that's not the best and there's not, um, very good. So how, how did she, uh, so they were prescribing her. So you said that she, she that tried to commit suicide. How did she uh, do that? Psychotic episode. Her heart. So how did she do that things. then? And um, so that's effectively what she, she was kind of a victim of, of that. Oh, wow. And anyway, she, she took all these, we're talking like uh, enough medication to probably kill about 10 people. Um, and her, the aim, whenever she was discovered, you know, she was, she was out of it and the ambulance uh, uh, just so happened to be on the street and it's a pretty remote street. Uh, it just so happened to be driving by whenever they got the call. They were literally right there at the address. So, oh. so that freaked them out. Hmm. They take her, her heart stopped two or three times. They, they brought her back, put her in, in the um, uh, intensive care unit and, um, you know, uh, flushed her system. And uh, they would, for about a week or so, she was just unresponsive. They had her intubated. And these two nurses would, you know, they, they were, they would take care of her at night and they would put things on. She loves LSU football. So they would put on old, old, uh, you know, uh, games for her so she could maybe hear it, you know, really wonderful guys. And, uh, they, this, this one guy, like he said, he was an atheist and he was giving her, 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 washing her hair with the, with the, uh, the nozzle, you know, and he's, he's basically like, God, you know, you know, I don't believe in you, but if there's anybody, if you're real, this, this poor girl doesn't deserve this, you know? And right when he's doing that, her eyes popped open and he almost fell backwards. Wow. And, and she's like, it's hot. And she's like, oh, and, and, and they, they took it out. And she was complaining because of how hot the, the water was, you know? And, um, and this is on the heels of, uh, that, uh, her grand, her grandparents church uh, had the elders come and lay lay hands on her and, and anoint her. And it was that next morning that all this happened. And so he's now a believer, this, this, uh, nurse that was, uh, working. So, um, so this is the girl that shows up in my day room and I'm talking to her. She tells me this amazing story. She says, I couldn't even do this properly. And I was struggling there. I was talking to God while she was in, you know, in the hospital and, and he just shows up you know, in my room and, and, and it's very similar to what I, you know, I had experienced and he just communicated how much he loves her and how she, he, he has, he has something for her to do. There, there's, you know, there's a plan on her life. And so her, her ministry started while she was unconscious. That's right. Before she even knew it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was just so full of life. I, I, I you know, you, you, you meet, someone who has just had that 
that trans that that transformative encounter with Christ, and and I, and I saw her, and here I was this jaded divorcee, you know, and it is just kind of renewed it, you know. He's just like I'm like wow, the Lord is so faithful, He knows what He's doing, you know, and so he had she had no support system, and so I said, hey, look, whenever you get out. Um, I'm going to be your friend. You have no one here. <laughs> we went to the same college, uh, this local college, and said, so so count yourself. You have somebody on your corner. And so I just had this burden in my heart for her, pray for her and uh, visit her. And then um, she got transferred to, to, the, to the state hospital, uh, namely because they needed to make sure um, that the medical side was good, that she wouldn't have any seizures because she shouldn't have been alive. So they had to make sure her liver was functioning based on everything she took. So she was so she was transferred up there. I, I didn't know that. And so I came in and she had been transferred. I was like, OK, all right, I guess that's that's that. I'll just continue to pray for this poor girl, you know, as you know, I just, you know, as the Lord leads me. And then um, then I get off of work and the Lord. Yeah, he just impresses on me. No, you need to go visit her. And he brought up the passages. Look. You're not just supposed to pray for you. Go visit this person. And I was like, okay, I'm tired, but um, right off the night shift, I got, but I'll do it, you know? <laughs> so I hop in my car and I travel uh, to Jackson, Mississippi. It's about four hours north. And I get there. I have no idea. This is before, I mean, this is like, a, this is 2000, uh, early, to, or yeah, the fall of 2004. So there was no GPS. There was none of this stuff, at least not on, on I didn't have a smartphone or anything. Right. Like that, right. And, so I'm getting there and I'm relying on the, the kindness of strangers to kind of point me in the right direction. Like, hey, where's the state hospital up here? And everybody's pointing me and I'm, I get to the only place I could find is this medical hospital. And it doesn't have any any uh, psych units or anything like that. So I say, like, I know this isn't this can't be it. This is not where we do transfers. So I was like, OK, I I have gone above and beyond here. You know, I'm just going to turn around and go home. You know, I've, I've, I've done my due diligence. You know, I think I've satisfied that. And so on, I, I couldn't, I was so deep in Jackson. I tried to find my way out. So I had to ask people, Hey, how do I get out of here? You know? And I go to this, I make my, I'm just meandering. Uh, you know, I, I'm just randomly have an idea of where the interstate was. And okay, if I turn right here, I might, I might get there. So I arrive at this gas station, ask them where the interstate is. And they're like, okay, man, you just take a ride down this road. And you'll see the exit. I'm like, okay, good. And then as I'm walking out, the Lord puts on my heart. He goes, go ask that man right there. And there's this guy in these overalls. He looked like just this, this, you know, stereotypical Mississippi farmer. And I said, sir, uh, do you happen to know where the state hospital is? And he goes, which one? I'm like, what do you mean, which one? He goes, well, we have the medical one. But we also have the, the psych psychiatric one. And uh, he, I was, I was like, psyche, or like, what do you mean? There's a second one? He goes, oh, yeah. And I said, well, where is that one? And he said, well, it's, it's right here. It's, you're literally right, you're right here. And he points to it. And it's across the street from where I found myself. So I just so happened to unknowingly um, find myself right where the Lord wanted me to be. Uh, unknowingly, unwittingly. And so I, I go there and I go to the, you know, the, the, the guard says, well, you have to go to the visitor's center. And so I go to the visitor's center 
knowing coming from a you know psych psych uh, background i know you can't just walk into to one of these places there there has to be forms you have to fill out and and all that yeah and uh and you know permissions and whatnot so i i go there and she's like okay we can't let anyone is that isn't on a um authorization form that the patient gives permission for and i'm like well okay you know she says, well, what's your name and so i'm uh, malachi school you know and she, what's the name of the patient? And I give her the name of the patient. And, and so she goes back to her little file cabinet, sees her, pulls out this piece of paper. And I see her reading it, going down the list. She goes, oh, here you are. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so she gives me this visitor's pass. Then I go over to her ward that she's at. And we have a great conversation and, and you know, I encourage her and all that. Um, now I, I asked her, I was like, She's like, she was so surprised to see me. And I said, well, I was so surprised to get it. How did you know, how did you know yeah. to put my name on, on that list? She goes, I never put your name on no list. I, I didn't even, I didn't even know what your last name was, you know? And I was like, whoa. And so at this point we're, we're kind of objectively looking at this. Why would all these things happen? Like, what is the Lord doing here? So we realized that even though both of us were not in the, the, uh, the you know uh the hat for for any kind of romantic we we, we were both romantically bankrupt uh we have to respect whatever it is the lord's doing here we need to maintain you know so we would write letters back and forth just encourage each other in the faith and from that this it blossoms and um you know we we set the date four weeks later and we got married four weeks after that and that's that's pretty much our story um but it doesn't end there uh because uh they're one of the one of the things that that this man whenever we were praying back when i was in the military one of the things because everything he said was came 100 true except for the fact that he said well you and your wife many souls will come to the faith because of you and you will be casting out demons and, and i'm like well I'm divorced. My my wife at the time when he said that, she's she's not my wife. And uh so I remember telling Crystal, my wife now, you know, these things when we first met, and then she got a little freaked out. She's like, Well, what if it's me? You know, what if she's like, I'm not cut out for that. And uh, so she starts asking me all these things. Well, what's a demon? I'm like, what is like, you know, what what is all these things? And I gave her um I you know. I had an experience working inpatient with with uh, um, someone that we had this demonic uh, encounter, and so I explained this to her. And I'll, you know, I, I can I'll, I'll I'll tell you later on this. That's already in it, but but I, I did I relayed this to her, and she's like, "Oh yeah, this is not you know that's that's scary stuff. I don't, I don't want to be involved in that." But she but she kept asking questions about it, and like, "Well, what do I do if I find myself in this? What do I do then?" So what we didn't realize is all that was prep for seven days after we were married. We had, I had my second uh, encounter and this would be her first. So all, all that thing was prepped for her. And um, so that, that'll be the second story I said, I don't want to, I don't want to jump to that one either. Uh, but that, that's pretty much, and then we get married, we have five beautiful girls and here we are. Right. I know you put you put our two families together and we almost have a whole football team of girls. That's man. right. That's right. <laughs> so in other words, neither of you guys get any bathroom time. No. 
Right. No. <laughs> the only, no, that, just, the only way you get world. that is you, you have to have your own bathroom, man. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Have some woods out back. That's that's yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In case of emergency. Right. Well, I love this story. Um, and it's related. Obviously, you have a good little segue for us to go to the next part of this. But I just love the fact that um, ordinary people can have these extraordinary stories. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I really think that we're we're a culture right now that that needs to hear more of that kind of stuff. Ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Um, and Malachi, you've been one of my favorite people in the world for a long time. And vice just, versa, brother. <laughs> we don't, uh, we don't, talk, we don't communicate as much as we probably should, but we do it kind of from afar. And, sure. and, uh, and we just have so many common interests. And I hope to get into that here a little bit when we, after you tell your stories, just have a little discussion about them uh, Absolutely. from our own perspective. But, uh, yeah, why don't you, why don't you, so you, you had contacted me just two weeks ago to tell me that, Hey man, I got a couple of these demon stories and, and I'd like to tell them to somebody. And you know, you, you had your, you had your idea of where you wanted to do it. And I said, Hey man, I'm starting a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> do it on my, do it on my, right, right. serendipity. Right. <laughs> it, would be, it would be perfect. So well, and Doug, I feel we're, we're, we're ironing out the kinks here. I feel like you need to be over here, Doug. So I'm going to do that. I feel better, a little better about that. Uh, I'm flipping up and <laughs> right. down. So You are. So humble, hopefully, really. we, hopefully we settle there. <laughs> All right. We're, we'll, we'll settle there. So why don't you jump into this first uh, demon story that you just alluded okay. to and, and sure. um, tell us about what in the world happened. So I know this story because you told me on yeah. the phone last week. And then right. when you started into the second one, I said, don't tell me because I want to be surprised about it. So. <laughs> Sure thing. So uh, it was in, let me, I'm trying to think. It was probably in the fall of 2001. I'm working on the, the psych unit in, in uh, the, the Air Force. And uh, um, we have this patient come in who's in his, his, his early 20s. And he is facing some, some criminal charges for being busted with marijuana. At the time, it was, it was uh, very, you know, um, very legal. It still is in the military, but, but not so much, but back then it was a big deal. And, um, he was did very distraught from, from the criminal charges. It would have, it would have meant he, he had to end his air force career and he had nowhere to go. He, he grew up in the, uh, uh, foster care system and, uh, abused as a kid and all this really, really, really terrible childhood. Um, so he, he, he had developed some suicidal ideation like man if you're going to kick me out i'm just going to hurt myself and so that's how he ended up on our our unit he was a, he was a model patient he was um he did everything he needed to uh he was kind he was courteous he was you know um uh he's he just all around a, a good-natured fellow um and so you know i was building rapport with him and one week i had to go take uh I'd, I'd take leave. And, um, when I left, he, we have this, we have a different, like, like a graduated system of, of, of like, uh, pr uh, privileges, you know, for patients. Like if, you know, you, you meet this standard for this long, then you can have a little more freedoms and stuff like that. And he had, he was on the top. So he, he was very responsible and, and he, he was not an immediate harm, a threat to himself or anyone else. Um, and so I, I go on leave 
And then when I when I get back, he is on the lowest, so the most restrictive level, and it, which is the um, on it's called one one to ones or one on ones, which basically means the uh, that patient has to have a staff member assigned to them, like one like a, a exclusively, and they have to be within arm's length of this patient at all times, and so I'm walking back in um, to the unit. And I was like, what's going on? And I'm, I'm going to call him, him Jack. That's it's not his name, obviously, but just to protect him. Uh, so um, I, I, you know, I was sitting in the, the uh, with him in the day room. And, and I was like, man, what's what's going on here? And he said, I feel like Satan's going to kill me or he's out to kill me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Why, why, why are you saying this? And he said, well, while you were gone, we went down to the library. I checked out this book on Wicca. He goes, I know that all that stuff's real because I was in the church as a kid. And I, and I did some of the things to try and summon a demon to kill me because I'm, I'm not, I don't have the, I'm not brave enough to do it myself. And so um, the reason he was put on these restrictions because he would have these fits of self-harm suddenly and he would be laughing and smiling while he's doing it, like sticking uh, his fingers in light sockets and stabbing himself with pencils, stuff that never, never occurred um, prior to this. And another odd thing that was happening to him is he had this very mysterious bleeding going on. His, um, his eyes, his fingernails, his ears, his gums, um, every orifice of his body uh, would be bleeding. So we would have to take labs on him every single morning and have internal medicine check him out, but they couldn't detect anything wrong with him. He was healthy as a horse. Okay, so and, stop there for a minute because when you say this, um, like, is it just constant bleeding that's coming off of him? It would be uh, almost in waves. So, like, he would he would have to wipe blood from his his, his, his eye ducts, you know, his, his tear ducts, I mean, um, like you, you, he'd be smiling, all of a sudden it'll be it'll be pink from the, the blood coming out of his his gums, and his fingernails. You could just see it just coming out of his fingernails, and and this is clearly like, well, there's a platelet issue, there's a blood thinning issue, and and there was nothing wrong. His blood was 100 percent fine, and uh, it was really bad. Like his eyes, it was really creepy because he had no whites; they were all just blood red, um, not bloodshot, but blood red, like a hematoma in there, you know. Huh. Oh. And and um. <clears throat> It was really crazy. <laughs> so I this is something out of a horror movie, man. It is. It really is. <laughs> and he um, but again, medically, he was he was you know perfectly fine. They could they couldn't figure it out. Um so anyway, back to back to me talking with him. I'm like, man, what's what's going on? Everybody's telling me what's happening. I, I couldn't I can't believe this kind of change. And he's like, Yeah, man, Satan's out to get me. And he he was as white as a ghost, too. And he really he really believed it. And I'm a new believer at this point. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, he's kind of out to get everyone, man, you know? <laughs> and, um, I, you know, my, I had, my theology guys was, was so superficial at this point. I haven't, I haven't learned anything, you know, I just knew Christ and him crucified, which is enough. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, well, you know, well, you know, you know, wishing the best. And, and so we had to get up and, and I was assigned to him on my first day back. Well, um, 
bedtime happened, patients going to bed. He was in an isolation room and basically it would be a, a single bed room. The door t- uh, of it, there, the, there is no door. It was actually, there, there was a, a opening for a door. Um, his bed would have been laying down in such a way that the, the hallway where I was sitting, so I would, ha- I, would I was in a chair about 10 feet, um, six to 10 feet behind his bed. Um, there, there was, his bed was situated with the legs pointing toward the wall and the, the opening of the door behind his head. Right. So there's, he couldn't see me, you know, he was laying there and, 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 um, and what I would have to do is every 15 minutes document what he's doing, whether it be asleep, up going to the bathroom, whatever the case, we'd have to document that in the, in that one-on-one relationship. Um, so I'm doing this and, um, I, I just have my clipboard. That's the only thing I have my clipboard and my pen. That's, you know, and the Lord just presses on me. So you really need to pray for him. And I'm like, okay, I'm not good at this. I'm new. Uh, I'm going to, so my prayers were not eloquent. They were not, you know, verbose at all. They were just like, Lord, please help this fella, you know? Um, but I had, a, I, had a, I had a deep compassion for him and sympathy that, that what he was going through. And that's really what was fueling it. You know, just just get him out of this. This is this is a terrible situation he's in. I don't know why, what's going on with him, but I just pray that you deliver him from this. And as I'm praying, he had been asleep for, for at least an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, sound asleep, like snoring. And as I'm doing this, he, he starts and, to... And so, but... How are you praying? Like I asked you, yeah, are, are you praying out loud or Again, what are you doing? As a as a new Christian, I I'm not that bold, so <laughs> uh, my lips are sealed. I look like I'm just sitting there looking at my my clipboard. My lips aren't moving. This is purely in my head, right? I'm I'm not giving any indication, you know. Uh, and so, just in my head, you know, silently, I'm praying for him. And as I'm doing that, he's he's moving around on his bed, and it's like, oh, okay, he's just getting comfortable, right? I'm making all these excuses. And but then I just felt that, that, that external prompt to pray harder. Don't stop. And so I, that's what I do. And, um, and as I continue, he gets more and more uh, violent in his, in his uh, movements. You know, very, uh, like, almost um, uh, like he has, uh, you know, uh, epilepsy or just, you know, really bad shaking and, and all that jerking. And at this point, I'm like, okay, what if one of the medications that they, he's on uh, is, is he's having a reaction? It's that bad. Where I'm, he, he's, a, he's about to, like, flop out of his bed. Really bad. So right before, I'm just so freaked out, I call the nurse to, to come over. Um, he, he jumps up out of bed, and he spins around to look at me, and he just in this really deep guttural voice, he says, quit praying for me. Really loud. Quit praying for me. And I wish I could tell you I had this amazing comeback, right? <laughs> but I got, the only thing I could, I mean, I almost fell back. I almost fainted. The only thing I could squeak out was, well, why would I want to do that, right? And then he says, he said, um, he is ours. You can't have him. And at this point, I'm like, I'm, I'm thoroughly... I'm my, my heart, my heart was in my throat. And, <laughs> and so I just didn't say anything and just kept praying. And, and 
he fell right back down on his bed and within like two seconds he was snoring again and he had a he had a he had a um restful sleep throughout the rest of the morning um I did not. I had. <laughs> I, was, I was on. I was wired. I did not eat any coffee that night to get through the night shift. And um, so immediately, I, I take a break whenever whenever I had some relief come in. I take. I didn't tell anybody this. Obviously, not at least not at work. So I, I, um, I go and I call my my mom, who's a believer, and I said, "Mom, this is what happened. Pray for this kid now." Find as many people as you know are believers, have them pray for them. Then any other believer, any other patients that I know are believers, I would let them know, hey, not going to get into it, but just pray for this kid. And so they're like, yeah, man, you know, a lot of them already were praying for him. And um, so the next morning when he woke up, his eyes were clear. There was no more bleeding. Uh, there was no more episodes of, um, of self-harm. He was back to being normal, normal, normal Jack. And, uh, and he did get discharged. He had to serve, I think it was a few years in prison, uh, in, in military prison because of the, the drug charge. Then he got out and, and joined uh, a church on the, on the East Coast and, and sent us all Christmas cards saying how well he's doing. He's back in, in the faith. And, and it was just uh, wonderful to see that that uh, resolution there that there was something there's a there's a detail I, I forgot to mention and this is what um it was really interesting is when i was speaking to him and he was scared that on right before he went to bed that night i asked him well you're hurting yourself well, why, why are you doing that he says it's not me man he's like he says i'm sitting there looking through a window and something else is 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 in charge i i i that's he says i when that happens something else is there and and it's like he can see it happening but he's not in control of it he's like seeing things through a window is how he described it um and yeah so that was my my first encounter with with uh anyone that qualified as demonic and and understand you know we we dealt with with so many different kind of of uh psychiatric illnesses from acute to chronic illnesses, um, this was unlike any of those. And he didn't; he wasn't diagnosed with anything but a kind of a personality disorder, which isn't, uh, it's not something you take medication for. It's, it's not like you're hearing voices or seeing things, anything like that. Um, and so this, this doesn't fit the, any of the criteria in the, in the DSM, which was what they would use for diagnostics. And, um, yeah, it, it was, I, I would, I would say maybe two or three people that in my, my 10,000 patient hours I had in that unit, uh, probably I would, I would, you know, suspect was probably demonic in nature. Um, but that was, that was the first one. And, and, um, I think what's reassuring what I've heard from other people when I tell them this, it's like, oh, so you, you weren't. You didn't know anything. I'm like, yeah, man. I just, I just knew Jesus. I just knew how to, to be obedient, you know. And that's it. That's it. You don't need, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to to know what to do or to be used by God in those situations. And that you need to know 
this. So if you find yourself in this situation, um, much like I found myself, this was uninvited, you know, um, and that you need to know what to do, you know, the, 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 you know, break glass in case of emergency. And I think that's, you know, um, that's what the whole supernatural world is about, especially with the church. It's, we need to have those break glass in case of emergency for every believer out there. Absolutely. So, man, I no love doubt. I love this story for so many reasons, because first of all, you're like you just said, you're a young Christian. You don't know anything. You just know enough to be obedient. Um, you don't really have like theological baggage that's going to keep you from doing one thing or thinking another thing or whatever. But at the same time, the reason Malachi, I love this is because you're one of the very few reformed Baptist people that I know that I can talk to about this kind of stuff. And that has thought through it himself, you know, and you've had a lot of time to reflect on this. Right. So, um, as I hear the story of this guy, and I think you would agree, but I just want to get your answer. Um, here he is like bleeding from all these orifices. He he's telling you things like, I'm not the one in charge of this. And then you hear this, you know, he stands up as you're, as you're praying silently in your head and he says, stop praying for me really loud. And then he goes right back to sleep. As you think about this now, are you convinced that this was demonic? Oh yeah. Um, his, uh, yeah, he, like there's, there's no way he could have known I was praying. And, um, again, embarrassingly, I was hiding my Christianity. Um, in psych, the culture there is very atheistic. It's very yeah. materialistic. Um, I wanted to see, I wanted to be seen as respectable to my peers, you know? Um, and I, I wasn't as vocal, but I'll tell you one thing after this, I was, they couldn't, they couldn't, <laughs> They couldn't shut me up after this, you know, uh, uh, but at the time, yeah, I mean, I was just another, another soldier in a uniform, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to still, I was just still trying to feel out my own faith, let alone someone else's, you know? And, uh, so when I say I was, I felt completely inadequate. I mean, that's, that's an understatement. I was inadequate. But Christ wasn't, thankfully. God isn't, yeah. That's right. So my second question is, what's it? I mean, this is wild because I've never heard anything like this at all. You're just simply praying for this guy. Um, Like you're not, you're not praying for God to cast the demon out of him. No, oh no, 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 exactly. So, so I didn't want to make that connection in my head (laughs) because, right, yeah, right. Right? (laughs) Okay, so here you are praying for a guy in the middle of the night in your head the demon understands that you're praying for him and somehow through this event of not even going through an exorcism um you know we we brought malachi martin earlier just as kind of a joke so father malachi martin is a guy that we both heard about from coast to coast years ago who would go on art bell's show in in fact i was listening i would listen to him during night shift when i was working there yeah. Oh really? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> After he the did, fact, right? He did. Uh, he did one episode that became like super, super popular, where he's talking about his the exorcisms that he had had um, performed, and he wrote a book, a book or two about that. Right. And um, in that book, he starts talking, or no, in the interview, he starts talking to a guy who, an evangelical guy who had called in and had talked about how um, he was talking 
is from what I recall about how the Catholic church has to go through step one, two, three, four, five to do all these exorcism. The guy's just kind of like, just cast it out in the name of Jesus. And then Martin gets all upset because he goes, <laughs> you don't know what you're messing with, man. You don't have the power of the church behind you. And right. it was this kind of, you could, it was really a battle between Rome and, and evangelical Christianity. Yeah, and so totally. your story is so interesting because here you are just praying for a guy who has a demon and the demon knows about it and it gets up and confronts you all of a sudden it's like it's gone yeah and well, and, I, and, and I you also, weren't even praying also, for an exorcism like no <laughs> but it's very telling it's very telling about the warfare that's happening in the spiritual realm right because just the fact that you're sitting there just praying for the guy and 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 all these demons are are seeing what's happening right next they're getting annoyed you know yeah. and they're saying hey cut it out <laughs> you know you're we, we've got this. We're in control of this, and you're sticking your hands into this. So it's very telling about what's happening in that realm that we don't see with our eyes. That's you right. Know? Right, and, th and that was my first real uh, – well, not my first in my life, but th it was the my first uh, you know, as, as a Christian um, where the, the kind of veil was was taken that, you know, away, and uh, it was an eye-opener. It, it, I mean, it, it definitely strengthened my faith. It was something that um, – uh, you know, it, it was, it was a, it was a sentinel event. It was something that, that really, I was like, well, I need to, I need to learn more. You know, I, I don't want to feel as inadequate, you know, uh, I want to know more about this. And that really kind of got me on that, that, uh, path to really study scriptures deeper, study the whole spiritual world, you know, deeper, uh, you know, make more sense of all these things. So that when somebody has a question about that, that I could, you know, provide an answer for them from a, a biblical worldview. And I love, and that answer is so great. I've, I've been talking with several people last week about how in these fringy circles that I found myself in, that there's so many people that are interested in the fringy part of it and the supernatural part of it and the weirdness of it, but they're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and they're falling prey to so many different things. And it's like, there's no grounding and no base. And, and I don't know if it's because people don't know where to go or if, because they're really not that interested in the grounding, but here I have a guy on this show, you know, one of my good friends who's talking about how that weird, crazy event actually turned him to go and search deeper in the scripture so that he can find answers to the, to these questions. And man, that's something that I would just encourage. I can't, I can't encourage that enough for people, how serious it is to, to do that. You have thoughts about that Malachi? Oh no, that's 100% correct. Um, this, this, uh, there, there seems to be a, um, an adopted materialism within the church that we've, that we've somehow borrowed. Um, and it, it views these subjects as icky and weird and, and um, but that's not an attitude we find. Taboo. Yeah. yeah. That, that's not the attitude we find in the scriptures toward it. Um, and we can't deny it's there and it is a ministry. It is a, it is a part of the church to deal with these things. And if we were doing it more properly, it would be an evangelistic tool itself. I think that's the whole Absolutely. point of this is, is for evangelism. It's not just to alleviate a spiritual oppression. It's there to win souls. 
And if people see, uh, I don't know how to describe, I guess an analogy is if, if uh, Darth Vader were to show up on the White House lawn, then somebody would make the connection. Well, I guess Luke and Yoda must be real, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's the truth. There's a lot that there's a lot of it there. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's God hiding these things from people. Um, I think that's the enemy. He, he, he thrives in darkness. He thrives, you know, uh, in, in behind that veil. And I think it is the job of the church to, to take that veil away and address it where we see it. What are your, what are your thoughts on, um, I'm not quite sure how to put the question, but what are your thoughts on, um, the idea of these kind of formal exorcism ministries that you hear about, whether it's in Rome or, you know, Pentecostals are doing it or whatever versus what happened to you. I mean, it seems like an extraordinary thing that, that a demon would leave just by praying for a guy in your head and not even praying for an exorcism. Right. But I also have to, I also have to take into account if, if Jesus is correct, what he's saying here is there are degrees of strength of these things. I might have just got the easy one, you know, <laughs> oh, no. I'm not trying to diss Martin or any of these guys, uh, but I might've just got really lucky, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. with this one, I might, you know, so I don't know. I really can't speak to them. What I do know is a common denominator. There is a common denominator within all those things. And that is they truly believe Christ's power is enough to get this job done, whether it's Roman Catholic, reformed baptists or charismatic it doesn't you know that they really believe the blood of christ and his authority um can accomplish the thing that they are setting themselves out to do i did read uh martin's um book uh, hostage to the devil i consider it one of uh, it if not the, the definitive work on this at least his his ability to record yeah uh, these events is just tremendous it's a fantastic um, book i, I love what he said times. Yeah, I, I love what he said about the Roman ritual. And he said, this is not some magic thing that they do. It's for the, the officiator to keep their mind on track. It's to keep them from being distracted. That, that it's still Christ that they, are, that they are appealing to through this process. That the only reason they have it is kind of, we would kind of consider formulaic, is because of the sort of thing that might happen when you're dealing with this that they have they have a flow chart because it's super easy to get confused and be attacked you know so i under i totally appreciate what what they're doing there and why they're doing it well in in the bible we have you know we have a very clear um example of two people who tried to go meddling right and they did it wrong right <laughs> and it cost them dearly right so you know you you have to you have to think that that at very least they understand what is what's really at stake. Right. You know, um, as you said before, it you know I I was raised you know Pentecostal charismatic, so so I've seen a lot on on both sides. I've seen the you know the the overhypeness and the abuse and all that stuff, and I've seen some, you know we we could tell we could trade stories. We definitely yeah. could trade stories, um, but um, but but yeah, there is there is definitely a it's not something like you said it is a ministry it is a, a definitely a calling there's a an impartation of uh of the holy spirit i believe that 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 falls on on folks like yourself yeah i mean i think 
I think it's I, th- I think it's more ubiquitous. Uh, I, I believe that every believer um, that this is that, like I said, that they need to be aware of this because every believer can act in this capacity. Absolutely. If the Holy Spirit brings him in that situation. And I um, and I also believe that he'll he'll prep us for that. Um, that's what I've seen in my own life. Definitely. Um, but to to raise an, a, an active resistance against the whole um, the whole you know world is is shooting yourself in the foot, um, and, and it's it's not what we're here to do. You know. Yeah. Why don't you so move to the? Yeah. No. Go ahead. Yeah. Go to the second one. Go to the second one. So in contrast with with <laughs> the, the first one is just me and this dude. So the second one, it, it, it was there was more folks involved. So, um, okay. So uh, where I start? Okay. So about seven <laughs> days after we are married, me and me and my. So how many wife, years is this after this? This, this initial is, so story? this would be in two thousand four. The first one occurred in two thousand one. So about three years later. Um. So we are, uh, we are at her grandparents uh, home they have a they had a daughter in washington state that had just uh, lost her battle with cancer so her aunt had died up in in washington state her grandparents were um up there uh, you know dealing with all everything that that you have to process to to get the body back to mississippi so they can have their funeral so what we were doing is we were um going by uh, staying in her grandparents home uh with uh another relative i gotta be discreet with this with another female relative um who who had her daughter was there and uh this this relative we'll call her debbie um and so uh debbie was in her late 30s about and um she had she had a you know, she she's divorced a couple times, and she was trying to reunite with her her one of her ex husbands. And um, as we're, we're we're sitting there, one of one of the elders of that the, the same church that prayed for Crystal whenever she was in the hospital. So, so uh, this elder named uh, uh, Brother Dick is what his name is Richard. He and his wife came by to drop off a casserole, you know, uh, for for their grandparents, and. Um, Debbie knows him and wanted uh, him to pray for her to try to reestablish this um, uh, marriage with a relationship with her ex-husband. So they, when they leave, Debbie, the the elder uh, brother Dick, and his wife leave, and and they are going to go pray in the in the uh, the driveway or the the carport. And we were just inside there with Debbie's daughter, just you know, kind of babysitting a little bit. And um, about an hour passes, and we we just realized, like, wait, wait a sec, where's where's Debbie? Like, it's been a while since they walked outside. And around that moment, we hear someone screaming outside. We're like, oh no, what's going on? And so, um, the way that the home is situated, there's a uh, by the carport, there's like a bathroom, and and um, being me and Crystal, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, curious. <laughs> so we're going to go eavesdrop what's going on back there. And we listened. It was kind of, we heard muffled yelling on Debbie's part. And, 
and just kind of very calm, collected communication on part of, of Brother Dick. And uh, then the daughter hears it. It's like, oh, my mom, she's being dramatic or something. And so she's she storms off. Then I said, hey, uh, Crystal, will you go and, and keep her back there? I'm going to go ahead and go outside and, and see what's going on to try and, could, you know, uh, solve whatever conflict this is. Because it's so inappropriate. This is like, um, you know, right on the heels of, of their relative dying of cancer. So this is what, a, what an odd event, you know, uh, in, in such a somber time. And so I walk outside and what I'm seeing is um, the first person I see is, is Brother Dick's wife. I can't remember her name. And she's leaning up against her car. She's just praying intently with her Bible in her hand. And um, I walk up to her. I was like, hey, uh, what's going on? And she looks at me. She, I've never met this woman from Adam. I don't know her from Adam. And she says, um, are you are you a Christian? I was like, yeah. And, and at first I'm like, wow, do you start all your conversations out this way? And <laughs> and so as she said it, I'm listening to what is coming out of the mouth of Debbie. Now, now, now Debbie is is a uh, uh, lower educated um, Southern, you know, not she, she's not going to, you know, she she's not very articulate or anything like that. She's. You know, she's she's a, she's a good old gal, right? Um, really kind and nice, very very uh, super awesome person. And um, for so for her to be yelling at at this man, it's like, what did he say? Especially the church elder, you know, what did he say? So I'm listening, and I noticed that Debbie's speaking in the third person. That was the first weird thing. Huh. Like, what is going on here? And then some of the things that she's saying, uh, and then it's just the growling and all that. I'm like, oh, okay. I know what this is. It's <laughs> like, right? yeah. so, it's like, okay. It goes, uh, all right, I'm going to go help him. I'm telling, telling this to, to a brother Dick's wife. You keep praying. I'm going to go help him. Cause it looks like she's about to tear this man in half. Right. Oh, he, he's super short, by the way. He's maybe five, two, if that five, one. So Debbie, she kind of towers over him. She's about five, uh, seven, and um, I, I, I don't interrupt, right? I'm like, okay, this is this is because he's he's what it sounds like he's doing a good job. He's he's addressing her. He's you know praying, and so I get behind her because I'm afraid that it's going to get violent. So I get behind her and I just put her kind of in a full Nelson while I'm while she's walking around, and her eyes are just in, just fixed on on this on him. And she's saying things uh, like um, one of them was, who are you, little Christian man? She belongs to us. Uh, that's the second time I heard that, right? Um, and this is what got me. She, says, we, he, 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 she said, we've been here for 10,000 years. You are but a vapor to us. Wow. And at this point, like, yeah, this is not Debbie, right? This is... This is not uh, this is this this is not her, right? Just her personality alone, let alone some of the language she's using, right? Um, so I'm praying, you know, he's praying, but she's like really strong. That's I mean, she like just I could I'm, I'm a grown man, I'm ex-military, right? But I felt like if she wanted to, 
she could have flung me like 20 feet, man. She was, you could just feel the strength in her. And it was, it was really off-putting. And so Crystal, if you remember, um, for the past seven or past two weeks after, or about two, three weeks, she had been asking all these demon questions, right? Like, wow, I never want to be in that situation. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And um, so here it is in her grandparents' house. It's happening right now. She comes outside to look. And at this point, me and uh, Brother Dick, she would, she, uh, Debbie would be going in and out of herself, right? And we, we were telling her, she'd have these moments of lucidity. We would tell her, you got to call out on, you got to call out. You, you, you have to help us here, you know? You've got to call out on, on Jesus. And so she's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And she says, and in, in the name of, and she couldn't say it. Her, she couldn't, her mouth would just start contorting and she couldn't get the word Jesus out of her mouth. Yeah. And she's, and she's like, and she's just scared to death, you know? And then, and then her eyes would start dilating and she start growling again and foaming at the mouth, the whole nine yards. And so we, we have her down where she's sitting and she's sitting on the ground. I'm still behind her brother Dick's in front of her and crystal. She said, uh, this is her relaying this to me. She said she felt pulled to come out there because that's her relative. She loves this person. She's like, I just want to sit idly by. And so she she stands, she she opens the door, she looks out, and this thing is staring right at her. Like just right at her. It's like her it's her focus was on Brother Dick, but now it's this is the first time she shifted her gaze over to her. This is the same house that she attempted in, right? So um, she is like, okay, nope, nope, right? <laughs> this thing's staring right at me. Starts smiling at her. And she says, nope. She turns around and she goes to walk back inside. She said it was like this wall. There was like a wall there. And, and she's like, oh, no. This, I've got I've to do this, you know? And then she said she just got angry. She said she got super angry that this thing is bullying this person she loves. And then I was so proud of her. She just comes out swinging. You know, she comes out there and just gets in its face and says, how dare you? You let her go and all this stuff, you know? And so here we have three people doing it. Well, four with, with um, yeah. Brother Dick's wife. And we're doing this for like an I mean, a long time, an hour. We're exhausted. We're getting nowhere, right? And um, and out of the blue, this car pulls into this driveway. And this is during a remote location. This car pulls into this driveway. And this, like, woman looks like a soccer mom. She hops out of this car and runs up there and starts praying for, for Debbie, right? And we're like, who are you? <laughs> and apparently she is a friend of Debbie's who was sitting there cooking dinner. And the Lord told her to get up, get in her car and go over there now. And so she just pulls in like screeches and everything like, you know, uh, uh, it, 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 like, like, like she saw the bat signal or something. And so she's up there. She's praying. And this, this thing starts talking to her. 
And she said, he said, or, or this thing said to her, um, uh, your prayers are useless and your fasting is, is, is useless, you know? And then she's like, well, how did you know I was fasting? So she had been praying and fasting for Debbie for like a week. Um, because, uh, you know, uh, she just, she just felt that burden for her for a whole week. So she's like, well, if it wasn't working, you wouldn't be saying that right now, you know? Right. And right. so once she showed up, it was about five, 10 minutes. It was over. Uh, she started um, being able to call out on the name of the Lord. And once that happened, it was, it was super quick. And uh, so afterwards, I think the whole ordeal lasts about at least an hour and a half. I mean, it, it was long. And, um, and afterwards I, I, I sat there down and spoke with her and was like, Hey, do you kind of know what, what happened? You know? And I just kind of walked her through, um, you know, when these, you know, there's a lot of things in your life that you may have opened yourself up to these, but now, you know, the power of Christ, you know, it's real, you know what you got to do. And so she, you know, she's, she goes back into church. In fact, we, we wanted to set up like a, uh, a second kind of session with her, just a prayer session, um, just with the elders of that church. So that's that Sunday. She, she comes into church and, or I'm, I'm sorry, it was a Wednesday that Wednesday she comes into church and, um, they're, they're in this conference room and this conference room has this huge Oak table. It's probably like 60 years old, weighs about a ton, who knows, huge. And they're all in this conference room that just the elders with Debbie. And then she starts to manifest again. And this time it's something totally different. Some other thing talking and, and her tongue turned black and really bizarre stuff. She took that table, that big conference table and threw it like two feet across the, the room. And this is all relayed to us from brother Dick afterwards. And, uh, and, they had this whole nother thing with her and she, he was, it was like, a, it's like the first one was the cork, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and all the rest came out afterwards. And, uh, um, so yeah. And, and she was having dreams of, uh, like, uh, or, and seeing like a black figure in a top hat, which is actually very common, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, with, yeah. with this is, there's a lot of people see this is these, um, hatted figures, black figures, and uh these shadow creatures and all this stuff so she she experienced all those so that was that was the second that was the second one and it what's cool is it it confirmed everything that crystal was afraid of that oh wait <laughs> that means it's me right i don't right. i don't want to do this but i was so proud of her oh my goodness but again look at the contrast between that and the first one this is clearly two different you, you, this is not this is a case by case basis so it's on that that i say look i i know like the, the catholics have this thing i know the the pentecostals have their thing um but i believe if it's successful it's only because they believe that christ is able to do this and they Absolutely. try to get as many people involved as possible i think that is another critical um uh, thing that you, you need as many believers. It's, it works. I mean, it, it really works. The more people you got, the stronger it is. Absolutely. So you said that um, there was this, like, uh, prophecy, right, that 
that uh, you and your wife would have this ministry or whatever with regard to this whole topic of demons. So, um, I mean, do you have any more stories or, or how do you, how do you see that, that, that having played itself out after your first week of marriage? So look, I don't, I don't know anything about a ministry of demons. I, all, all I know is, is this guy says, <laughs> you and your wife, there'll be many souls saved. You will go hmm. and you will cast out demons. So, um, it could be, maybe that's the only two. I don't know. Yeah, look, yeah. That's not something yeah. that, if they're not something I, I am on the hunt for. I know that there's like these, these demon hunter guys and all that. I, I am all about, look, the Lord wants me to be involved in that. Then he's going to have to orchestrate it because I'm not out there looking for it. Right. <laughs> but I think as the days continue, um, I think it's going to be a luxury to, to not have encountered something like that. I think mm. that this, this activity is on the rise. Um, I think it's far more ubiquitous than, than we, we see, we know. Um, but I, I think what you'll where you'll see it probably most often is in an evangelical role. So if you plan on preaching the gospel, if you plan on on wanting to be part of Christ's salvation of souls, then you will encounter this. So are you saying that because uh, because the gospel is present in that world, or or what, why do you single out the evangelicals like that? I mean, evangelical meaning, uh, yeah, not not the uh, group. I mean, the occupation. If you are, if you believe uh, that you should be spreading the gospel, in doing so, in in mm. fulfilling the great commission, you will encounter this. I guess is a better way to say it. Yeah, whether yeah. whether it be any 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 you know church affiliate, right? So Malachi, um, so do you feel that? much in the way that the Lord gives us all giftings for, for a specific area in our, in our lives. Would you agree that there are people, believers that have a special, I, I know the word carries a little bit of, a, yeah, of I know a, you. <laughs> an anointing, if you will, um, over them for that, which may be why the demons manifest or are more prone to manifest themselves around certain people. That's, I mean, that that's a possibility. Um, my mom has some pretty wild stories where she would, uh, she, there was a, uh, we were going to this church in, in Maryland when I was a kid, and it, it turned out that they were, had some really odd beliefs. She had showed up, shown up to the pastor's door one day um, just to ask about something. And she, and when she opened the door, he starts drop, he started hissing and slithering on the ground like a snake. And and she's like really, you know, freaked out and like she's, she didn't welcome that, you know, but I really believe that that has to do with 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 just being in Christ. Honestly, I, I think it's something that when Jesus sent out the the disciples and the 40 that um, that he, he's saying, expect this, you know, that this is something that that is going to be attached to the spreading of the gospel, not necessarily, you know, uh, this one person having a special anointing. I think we're all anointed to share our faith that if we do Absolutely. that, yeah, and if we do that, you have to be prepared for the things that those men experienced. So not, not necessarily, and, and I say this with all kindness in my heart, not necessarily a, a, a huge um, 
a huge uh, bunch of support for that in the Baptist church. I would. Think. Oh no. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about that. Like, all right. You so know, I'm, how, so how I'm a Southern Baptist. So I'm, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, our church, we're a back bay church. We're here on the, the Mississippi Gulf coast and, uh, we are SBC affiliate. Um, there, I think, I mean, honestly, it, I think it depends on the generation. Uh, the SBC, I mean, it's, it's massive. It's got a whole spectrum of folks in there. I think there's, I think there's a, a pretty good swath of, of people that are less kind of traditional, uh, you know, Southern Baptist and, uh, um, they, um, are a lot more open to this. And, um, and, and honestly, a lot of the work with, um, with Heiser and, and, and Doug and, and, um, all these guys, I mean, it's, there is a, a reformation that I see happening. Um, when I, when I can, cause I'm in, I'm in a lot of different theology groups now. And, um, when I can sit across the table with like some people who are polar theological opposites mm-hmm. and just get giddy whenever we start talking about Heiser and all these guys, and we have these things to, to bond over. That's when I say, Hey, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. And that's I, been very eye opening, very, yeah. very eye opening. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and I love to see it. I love to see that. Yeah. I love to see this, um, bond of believers that is higher than our theological differences and i think that's that's what's going to be uh transformative if we maintain that amen yeah i've looked at our i've looked at the denominations i've tried to look at them in 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 a positive way that a lot of people don't do you know people just think they're just divisive or whatever i I look at them more like rooms in a castle or something like that everybody has to go sleep in a room so you have to pick some room, right? So you, right. you know, you're not all going to lay out in the great hall every night sleeping under, you know. So, in, in their best, there there are ways that people of like mind can get together and and live in harmony and peace uh, on kind of doctrines that are really essential to them. But the the castle is the whole church. It's not just one Absolutely. room. Right. And too often. Um, the room becomes what people think is the whole castle, and that, and that's not the case. So it's it has been very interesting to me too to see um, this cross denominational spectrum of people that are kind of uniting over this supernatural worldview. It's like it's transcending denominational boundaries without, and I hope this is in a good, in a good way, at least the people that are in denominations without destroying those, you know, the good things that can come out of out of the different denominations. Absolutely. They don't have to sacrifice their theological distinctives in order to, to, right. uh, to unify on this. Right. Right. Well, and understand, understand that the basis of my question um, is not necessarily to highlight the, our differences. It's more of a curiosity of how um, leadership has reacted to your experiences or, or have you faced opposition or, no, I mean I, I'm in a wonderful church with um, we 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 have an eldership, so there's four of us, mm-hmm. and um, these guys are like my brothers, man. They um, they awesome. they love it, man. They're like, what's the name of your church? It's Back Bay Church. Mm-hmm. Back Bay Church. We're in uh, we're in Saint Martin, which is uh, right north of Ocean Springs. Something I found interesting. This is so you know with with these events in my life, you know, again, it prompted me to go to, to look into these things deeper, to listen, um, to, 
other experiences that people have had just across the whole board. And when you, you know, you, when you look at this and you see, wow, there, it's only in Christianity that can really supply an answer for everything. Like literally ever there, there, there hasn't been a, a, uh, event or supernatural thing that I've heard from any secular or, or, you know, non-secular sources that isn't explained in, in scripture. And, um, I think that's another, another thing that really needs to be demonstrated and shown. It's like, you, this is all biblical stuff. Uh, we should never have, no one should come to a Christian if this had an issue or experience of supernatural nature and they are met with skepticism. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. met with, with a, with a hand in the face or ridicule. That is not what we're here to yeah. do. We're here to provide those answers for them and to help Absolutely. them through it and to show them the, the, the supremacy of Christ to what it is they experience. You know, I, I love your, um, your philosophy on, on the fact that as believers, um, I mean, it's biblical, you know, that, that we would be empowered by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I realize, again, having a charismatic background, uh, but also being a feet on the ground charismatic, I'm almost, I'm almost a reluctant charismatic, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. Um, not, not just because, not just because of, you know, of, of the obvious that we're talking about, but, but because I've also worked, my career has been broadcast Christian television for 30 years. And I've met some of the most amazing people in it. I've also met some disappointing people, right. you know. So I've learned to balance, have a healthy amount of skepticism about certain things, not about the power of the Holy Spirit, not about the power of the Lord, but a lot of times uh, to the motives and the showboating and the grandstanding. Um, so, so all that simply to say, I, my approach is with, you know, with feet on the ground. Um, but I, but I love what you're saying and I, and I hear you totally, um, that, that, yeah, as believers, we do have, we were told it's biblical, you know, we have the power to raise the dead, you know, he said, you know, why are you guys, why are you guys so impressed about this? You'll be able to do this and more, you know, and, um, and it seems that that scares people. And I, again, like I said, I know why, you know, because a lot of abuse has happened sure. surrounding those things. But it doesn't change the fact that, right. yeah, that we are that we are endowed with that, with the, the authority of, of God's power. Right. You know? So, yeah, that resounds with me a lot. All right. Absolutely. Doug, I have a question for you. <laughs> Go you for ready? it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So one of the things that really piqued my interest, uh, um, this is after the fact, this is after I started reading, you know, a, a lot on this and kind of the origins of demons and, you know, the um, spirits of the Nephilim, you know, uh, when this thing was talking through Debbie, it said, we've been here for 10,000 years, and oh. you know, and, and you're but a vapor. It reminded me of, um, it now reminds me of, uh, in the, in first Enoch where there is a judgment placed upon the, the, the Nephilim, the spirits of the Nephilim, that for 10,000 years they would roam and, and tempt man. Uh, that, and, you know, I believe that, that this is, this is um, historically accurate. And um, uh, that it's interesting that when the demons encounter Jesus, the, 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 you know, the, uh, the demoniac, the gathering demoniac, that they said, 
to him, why have you come before the appointed time? I think they were probably talking about that, that there's a there's an appointed time uh, for their own, um, you know, uh, judgment for their that, that this time of their freedom is going to be come to an end. And that when Christ came, it was before that appointed time. But this thing said, we've been here for 10,000 years. I just think it's interesting for those who believe eschatologically we're on the we're on the on the closer closing end of that versus the beginning of it um what what just what are your thoughts about that and and, and let, let me preface this i know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be informing our theology by anything that comes out of a demon's <laughs> mouth so uh, i'm not saying that i just found but it, it is interesting it is, it is interesting, interesting that, it, yeah. that it said ten thousand years and we see in first enoch that that's exactly how long the 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 rain they kind of have uh, lasts. So, do you think that they know that the time is coming? That the time is short. Oh man, there's so much in that. You know, when I you know. said that, the first thing that popped into my head was the uh, the mound builders of America yeah. and the Mississippi mounds because you live down there, you know, right. and and just how old are those things? Um, right. Because are they 500 years old? Are they 4,000 years old? Are they how how far back does do those cultures go and sure and uh, so I don't I mean I don't know about the answer to that um, I do know I'm outnumbered in my eschatology in this little room here because <laughs> we have two uh, we have two premillennialists and then one guy who's not <laughs> so look man I, I love your I position I, 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 that? I have a huge respect for your for your position man <laughs> it's a it's a tough one, you know, in, in Luke, I, when you brought up the 10,000 years, my mind went to Jubilees and, and, and it might be in Enoch too, where it talks about the 70 generations thing. Yeah. And, um, I, I wonder if there isn't an overlap in conceptually there with the idea of 10,000 or a thousand and 70 generations. And they're all kind of symbolic for a really long period of time. Right. And, um, preaching through Luke. And I think this could actually be a, pretty interesting series for folks, Rudy, um, to kind of think about the coming of Christ with, with regard to what we're talking about here, his first coming. It doesn't necessarily mean I, that I'm going to give like a dogmatic answer about the second, but in the first coming, it's interesting because, because Jesus comes, uh, after 77 generations in, in Luke's gospel in Luke three, and you have the seven generations from Adam to Enoch, and then you have the uh, you have 70 more generations that come after that. And so right there, you have this uh, tip of the hat to what Enoch and Jubilees are talking about with regard to, um, you know, the demons of their appointed time. But you bring up something, Malachi, it's so interesting, which is that the, they're like, well, why have you come before the appointed time? Right. And so part of me. Part of me with your question go de defaults to kind of an already not yet thing, uh, yeah. which we actually would hold hold in common that somehow Jesus's uh, first coming actually did something legally to these creatures. But the they're prowling around, if you want to call it that, something like that. They're messing around on the earth. The the, the way Jubilees talks about it is that um, I think it's Prince Mastema hostility, hatred. That's what his name means is another name for Satan. 
is arguing with one of the pre-Diluvian patriarchs about uh, about what to do with these creatures. And he says, well, you can't destroy them all. You have to let a tenth of them continue to roam around. It's a really bizarre story. Right. And that becomes the that becomes the explanation for why we have these demons here still today. Um, but if there's some sort of a legal thing that Jesus did at his coming, which I think is also related to his ministry, his baptism, his anointing, his casting out of the demons to the transfiguration and the whole events that take place there. And then obviously to his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Um, I think that this is the reason why the name of Jesus holds that kind of power that it didn't hold before because his coming in as a human, as one of us, and then doing the things that he did is what legally destroys their authority over people today. And um, so that, I mean, it's, I'm kind of ignoring your question just because <laughs> I don't really have to answer in terms of is the time short? I mean, I have my beliefs and I, my, my inkling, the hairs on the back of my neck say the time is short um, and that they know that too. But right. at the same time, it's hard for me to be dogmatic about it because I've lived sure. through so many of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus is coming yeah. back this year. So That's so right. So. Yeah, I'll make I'll make no predictions, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let, 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 and I'm not and I'm, I promise like, I'm not opening this can of worms, but um, uh, or stirring, I should say, this can of worms. Um, but the thing is, as it pertains to that specific thing about. You know, like the what was it? Eighty-eight reasons why the Lord was right. Eighty-eight, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I I think I think that sometimes like the the baby gets thrown out with a bathwater with that, um, because it is it's downright unbiblical to try to put a date on it. I mean, straight up, that's just theologically wrong. Right. You know, um, I don't I don't necessarily feel that way about the seasons. You know, and, well, and you know, Rudy, he said and... the same thing in that book, though. He goes, um, it says you can't know the day or the hour, but it doesn't mean you can't know the weekend. So he was. No, that, that's wrong. Blank, that's wrong. You know, that's it, uh, to me that to me, that's you're still doing. That. Yeah. Yeah. In the, I mean, in the grand scheme of in the grand scheme of the master timeline, that's that's like that's like semantics, <laughs> you know, No, completely, um, completely. So. So, you know, that I, again, I, I'm totally with you on that. To me, that's just downright. And I, I think it's providential uh, that we don't know that because uh, I think we all know what people are like. And if you have a, if you set a date, we're like, oh, okay. I'll party till two hours exactly. before. That's exactly right. <laughs> Rather, he said, be prepared, you know, expect it anytime. And, and uh, he does, he does that. even talk about knowing, you know, you guys are able to go outside and look at the weather and see what's going to happen, you know, tomorrow, the next day. Why can't you do that with the, the budding of the fig tree? Right. And so, and I do think that there's some of that that has already happened with the 70 AD event. I mean, he predicts that in the first part of the Olivet Discourse and very clearly, I mean, you won't see one stone left on another. The Romans are going to come and do this and that. And he has some of that language there. And in <clears> fact, <throat> the Christians left Jerusalem when they saw Rome uh, <laughs> surrounding the city and Titus was outside. They're like, we're out of here. And that saved their lives. And a million Jews didn't leave the city and they died because Jesus had given him a warning. Well, I, I do think that there is some sort of a tie in to the, be able to, uh, for them to know the seasons then, but also for us to know the seasons today. So I, I agree with you. I, I don't think we should throw the ba baby out with the bathwater on that, but. I'll tell you one thing that I found very interesting about 
about what you said, Malachi, was um, when you when you when you said that quote of the demons that you know ten thousand we've been here ten thousand years. The first thing that popped into my mind, and I'm not necessarily saying, "Ooh, this is a thing," but again, in looking at the 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 broad timeline of you know, especially as it pertains to the work of um, of Heiser and the and, and all the things that you know the you know the the giants and the Nephilim and the Watchers and all that, um, it there seems to be, and I've I've gone back and checked, and I and I stand by this, that it, it would seem. The first thing that came into my mind was our, our interview that we did for the, the film that Doug and I just, you know, finished in the last, last couple of years. Um, when we went to Rock Art Ranch out in Arizona, it's an amazing, amazing place. A lot of petroglyphs, um, a lot of a lot of depictions of things that look like aliens and whatnot. It was actually studied um, very, very carefully, and they pinned the the age of it at about nine to 10,000 years. And it, it seems that everywhere that we go, that seems to be about the, the ceiling, yeah. you know, is about, is about that time. So I, I feel like there's something to that. I feel like there's something to that number, um, right. to, to the, to the origins of when these beings went from being Nephilim to being demons, right? you know? So, so that, that really, that really kind of struck, struck a chord with, with right. Me. And at the time, I didn't know any of this. I mean, so it's only in retrospect that picking these things out, you know, it's like, wait, that, that actually has some significance there, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's really mind blowing. Very, yeah. very, you, you've, you've experienced something that a lot of believers probably thankfully <laughs> have not, you know, I, right. it, it's funny when you said that you didn't need any coffee the rest of the night, you no. know? I, I, I've witnessed that as well. And I probably didn't eat coffee for about a week, to yeah. be honest with you. <laughs> there you go. It's, uh, it's, it's real. A lot of people don't realize. And what's interesting to me is um, how sometimes, and I don't want to say, I don't want to say uh, art imitates life, you know, but it just seems to me that a lot of times, and I've seen it more pronounced probably over the last five maybe i've just been paying more attention but five to ten years how a lot of the things that are coming out of hollywood a lot of the movies and whatnot when they start dealing with the spiritual aspect of things um they're pretty darn close to to reality yeah you know which makes you wonder is it that somebody is um because they would never in a million years admit to doing research especially from the evangelical, I mean, they would all day long from, from, from Catholics and they have, I mean, the exorcist, you know, sure. But, but from the evangelical side, you know, from, from the Protestant side, if you will, I don't think they would caught that doing that out of Hollywood or admit to it anyways. And yet a lot of times when I see these, these movies that have to do with demons and whatnot, you, you, I, I see more influence, more and more influence in the writing from the things that actually are the things that you're describing, you know, yeah. have, have you, have you any, any idea, any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think we could all agree that there's, there is a mastermind in Hollywood and, uh, and that yeah. whether they know it or not. And so it makes sense that there's this cohesion mm -hmm. that we could see that maybe the general audience couldn't. 
that's like, yeah, I know what that is, you know. But you know, you know what I'm saying, though, right? Well, yeah, it's strangely yeah. accurate. Um, yeah. Uh, some of the things that they do. This is not, you know. Um, but I, I do believe that there's a um, a void left with the kind of the the new atheistic movement of the late '90s, early 2000s. That it that it leaves a void that people are are wanting to fill. You know, it just doesn't satisfy the human experience. There's a spiritual, we're spiritual creatures, we're worshipful creatures. And um, I think that, that, you know, Hollywood is a, uh, is, is a priest almost to, to that world. And they do a very good job at <laughs> for what they're employed to do by, by the enemy. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but not surprising that it's getting more and more accurate. They're both a, they're both a prophet and a priest because they're um, they're getting a lot of their knowledge from firsthand experience. Put That's it right. that absolutely. Way. So they're absolutely. I mean they're dabbling in this stuff more than much more than dabbling in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. They're they're in full league with them, and then they take foundational that over yeah. to the oh, it's to the movie itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the truth part in terms of what's happening, what you're seeing that we could see just theologically or whatever, they're getting it from experience primary sources <laughs> right right primary exactly. sources right. exactly <laughs> why do you think it is malachi in the you know we met in kind of a reform chat room i think and and uh the kind of the conservative evangelical reformed world uh that really likes their theology really likes to talk about doctrines of god and and um you know, even even doctrines of the Trinity, doctrines of Christ, resurrection, all these kinds of things. We have we have this supernatural stuff in our theology that we like to talk about abstractly. But I've noticed that there's just it's very difficult to get um, many of the guys in these circles to talk about this kind of stuff. And I know you've thought about this. What? Oh, yeah. Why do you think that that is? It's that. Uh... You know, I, so ju just speaking about reform circles, um, there's this scholasticism that that they pride themselves on. And as we know, the scholastic world is is very materialistic. And so I think it just comes back down to, um, you know, wanting to be seen as an intellectual, intellectually legitimate. And the reform world has done a, a good job, you know, priding themselves on that. And they don't do a good job, generally speaking, of um, the looking at our relationship with God on a very personal level. They're very good at it on a doctrinal level, um, you know, all these things. But there's almost like your, your greatest strength is your greatest, greatest weakness as well. Uh, it's more difficult to get someone who is has really structured the, their Christianity, their Christian identity in their mind to be a set of, of uh, theological presuppositions and, and um, well-executed arguments for this, that, and, and, and whatnot. Um, it's difficult to get somebody who's in that mind frame to start thinking of the, the kind of the nebulous part of, of uh, uh, Christianity, the one where we are children of God, and he has something for us to do right here and now. 
and he's going to direct you to do it and you better listen you know that's that's that you can't you can't nail that to a wall but that's a very real part of the christian faith the, the christian walk I, I always think of uh paul in acts he's i mean he's out there preaching the gospel right fulfilling the great commission and then suddenly the holy spirit says do not preach the gospel in asia but <laughs> go through there don't say anything that directly can conflicts with what he knows christ commanded yet he recognized the person who said this to him as god so he he obeyed that you know that's kind of a that that for for the reformed mind that is a whoa you, you can't do that like that's that doesn't fit that doesn't fit the the the, the hole there you know um but that there is a day-to-day -day, uh reality to our walk that every day uh, like in psalm 139 6 that 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 you knew me before and all my days are written before any one of them took place that he has something for us to do and he guides us and shapes us and, and prepares us and and leads us to that and you're not going to find out what that is um in 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 in, in, uh, in theology books you know theology is good to have it gives us great boundaries and, it, and it's like a defense of error but it 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 is not designed to be the end all be all of you know it's designed to be part of of our christian faith not the end of our christian faith and yeah I think that's like the grounding of it but not the purpose for right. for why we were created you know you bring something up that i don't know that i've thought about like this quite before that um our uh you're gonna have to you're gonna have to edit this a little bit rudy because i'm having a mental block uh but so t talk about what you were just talking about again. The, um, well, the, the our, our kind of our faith in action, that it's something that the Lord um, deals with us on a day-to-day -day basis. That yeah, it's, so you know, Christians, Christians are, um, in this world, are, uh, of the Reformed theological world, we want to, we want to it. I don't know. We, it's like we want to say that we have a, a relationship with God, but we don't want it to be a relationship with God. It's it's a really strange kind yeah, of a thing. Exactly. Right. I mean, That's you're I describing a relationship. You're you're describing warm evangelical, you know, uh, born again Christianity sort of stuff. That for whatever reason, um, some people just kind of get really nervous about that, which is strange yeah. because it's supposed to be a father child relationship that you have exactly. it's, a, it's a living walk with the living god and right. it's not it, it, it's not just it, all in the head when when i was uh i think i was about six or seven years old my dad was building a deck a back deck on the house you know and um he's great he's really good at word working and all that and he brought me out there and he's like hey son go get the um the Phillips. So go get this this thing, and I would go and get it from the tool shed and give it to him. I probably added hours to his his project. <laughs> if he would have just done it himself, would have been so much quicker. Instead of me fumbling around for things, right? Christianity is that. Why did my dad ask me to come? Why did he bring me? Because he wanted me 
to be part of what he was doing. That's that's what he wanted. It wasn't because I am in, in contributing in any shape, way, or form. But it's because he wants to bring me along with what he's doing. We are the children of God. He's building the deck. We are, he wants us involved with that. He wants our names on that as well. And we got to think of our faith and our walk in this life as that. We're part of this. That, that he, um, we can't just look at the instructions like of the deck. That's what would be our doctrine. You, you need to have it, right? But that isn't the point. The point is to, to come alongside and be used by the Lord to do those things that he's, he's working in this world to do. And I think that's yeah. what's sorely lacking, in, 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 as, at least as a focus in the Reformed faith. Thinking about the, the weird world, the blurry world, the, the, you know, the uh, demonic world, the supernatural world, are people really that interested in just hearing about what you thought about um, the Washington, D.C. UFO hearings? Or are they more interested in hearing somebody that's actually had an experience talk about that experience and then try to think through it? Those are very different kinds of things. And I think right. if you can take that over into the other part of the supernatural world, which is our relationship with God, you can you can address it two different ways. You can have um, just my theologizing about who God is and what my relationship to be. And those are good things. I mean, it's good to, to have opinions on what we thought about the Absolutely. Washington, D.C. UFO hearings. But... Right. You you have actually have a story of of your relationship with the Lord, how He saved you, what He's doing in your life today. That's right. And it's the story that's the power behind um, right. what is changing this world right now uh, with the supernatural uh, that we've been talking about with Heiser and what. It's the story. People are swept up in it, and the more you can talk about uh, experiential things and then connect that to something that's grounded i think that that's where you're going to reach the most kinds of people that's right you, if you have one without the other there's problems when you have both together i mean mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. amazing right yeah too many people we said earlier at the beginning of this that too many people are only in it for the experiential part of it and there is no grounding but then too right. many other people they they don't want they can never get into the experiential part of it because that's taboo and you can't talk about that right very interesting, and, and 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 you're right. And and in Malachi, to uh, to your point, um, it does it does all go tie back into God wanting you to be part of the experience. He wants us to have experience. The experience. That's right. I I keep I keep going back to, um, over the last you know the last four years or so of, of doing research on this and, and 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 putting this this documentary together, um, that one of the things that because I. I am relatively new to the to the whole topic of the of the watchers and the nephilim and all this that that you know that that, that Doug writes about. Um, but my 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 feeling, especially when we read about the powers and principalities of the air, I always I always it, the first thing that would come to my mind was why would God even need those powers and principalities of the air? God doesn't need that. Why does he just need assistance? You right. know, why does he have watchers and, and and looking over? You know, Daniel is praying and and. And the angel comes and he says, you know, I, I met resistance from the Prince of Persia. They wanted right? to snap his fingers. Right. Right. You know, exactly. <laughs> but but one of the one of the one of the folks on the on the documentary, one of the, the experts that we asked, he said, he said, um, 
because God wants them to, because he wants, he, he, it's, he, he created these, these children to, to have a part of the experience. You know, right. he, they, they, he, he wants them to have the experience because in finding, because in having the experiences is when we really truly find relationship, you know, that, that, that we have something to put our faith and our trust in. Right. That's right. So I also think like with, with that's, a, it's a, it's a great question because I think a lot of people have that question, but if, if you look, I think God, God is a God of scale and he, he's, it's almost as if whenever you look in the old Testament, there's these steps that you have to go through in order to approach him. Each one of those steps is like a procession of holiness that you go up mm-hmm. and, 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 Without that scale, without that procession, I don't think we, we truly understand the buildup of how holy God is. That we have to go, just ontologically speaking, from the smallest creature up through the scale of, of creation. And God, by the time you get through that and you see God, you're like you understand the scale of who he is compared to that. Kind of like when... Um, when Jacob sent the procession of gifts to uh, his brother um, Esau, you know, if he would have just says, "Hey, hey, hey, what's up, Esau?" You know, here I am. He probably would would die. He probably would have killed him. But there was this procession that, it, with each thing, it made the last thing greater. And I think this procession of creatures, from the earthly creatures to the heavenly creatures. It shows the scale that when you get to God, it is it is special. It is unique. It is He, yes, He is our Father. He and Christ is our brother. But we we sh- we have this scale of of ontology that we go through this ladder almost before we get to Him. And um, the fact that absolutely Christ, the fact that Christ's death and atonement skips it you know it i don't think we appreciate how much it how far of a distance that it it bridges you're, you're absolutely right it un, it underscores the, right. the the size of the gap between him and us right which further underscores the amount of love that it took for him to say that's right yeah, I, that's I right. agree yeah. totally the only way you can understand absolutely. that infinite gap is with something finite so why something not in between it, it. Oh. right yep exactly that's amazing. Um, I I also I feel that to you know to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, not too far back. Um, it, it seems to me that one one of the things that um, kind of hinders, I think the and it and it has seeped into the church in its own way, is that with with so much technological advancement around us, it almost seems to to paint the supernatural. And and you made me think of this when you when you answered the question about how the how how the um, the experts, if you will, or the or the scholars in in, you know, in seminary kind of tend to shy away from this because it because it makes their it cheapens their academic experience, their academic uh, existence. You know, um, it feels like technology kind of does the same. Um, that the more the more high tech we are, the more advanced society gets the 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 more backwards for lack of a better word 
it makes the entire spiritual experience to oh, the yeah. degrees that you're experiencing it. It's regressive. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, um, I think when we surround, when we surround ourselves with the works of our own hands, we lose sight of the works of God's hands. And it's um, really difficult to see things properly whenever you're in that situation. Um, uh, me and my wife were just talking about this the other day as far as like urbanization. You know, going out on your balcony and seeing a bunch of, you know, uh, concrete jungle versus going out in your balcony and seeing a jungle. There's something that does that happens to you that day in and day out when you're separated from from the works of God, uh, just on a very fundamental level, it affects our outlook. It affects our worldview. It affects your mental health. It affects all those things. So it, you're right. Um, whenever we raise up our own our, the works of our own hands with technology, it's uh, and we rely on it and we see it. And, and again, we're worshipful creatures. If you surround yourself with these things, then whether you like it or not, you'll probably end up worshiping. Because um, I think worship is is a lot more subtle than than just you know writing songs to to your, to this you know microphone Absolutely. or something, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what that's what that's what happens. It's a result of of that. And I think whenever uh, at Babel, when when God says, "Okay, we got to get these guys out of here," you know, yeah. because that's exactly what they started to do. And it's, it's in our spreading out and surrounding ourselves with the works of the Lord. That's it's super important. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. It's funny. One of the guys that one of the, one of our, our experts along the way is a guy by the name of Putty Putman, who is just oh, a yeah. remarkable, remarkable guy. But Doug, Doug, you introduced us as a matter of fact, right? Yeah. He was you, on you, our paranormal when we talked about, uh, um, quantum mechanics, I think. Yeah. Oh, and, and, I, I listened to every one of those. Those are great. Yeah. <laughs> the guy is the guy has a a um, he has a degree in uh, in quantum physics. Uh, yeah, quantum mechanics is that is, yeah. he's a PhD, you know, and he left his career in in that to to go be a pastor, you know, and he does he has a lot. You remind me of him a lot, actually. He 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 um, some some of his stories are are just mind blowing about the the manifestations that happen. And the, the cool thing about him is he is such an educated guy, man. I mean, you know, like the, the naysayers, the, the scoffers, they, they can't, they really can't don't have candle his credentials. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So well, maybe, maybe, maybe we should have you back and, and see if we can rope him into the conversation. Oh too. man. That'd be, really, that'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. That'd be awesome. But we'll, we'll, we'll have to preface it with your uh, black eyed adult story. Oh Yeah. You want, me to, you want me to do that now, or, or how long? Oh. How long does that story take it's you to not tell? Long. It, it won't be long. So but yeah, tell was, it now, and then we'll we'll have you back on tell it again in a better way. Reprise it. Right? <laughs> so I have wait. I'm trying to think. So so our whole family has intersected that world in different places. My dad saw like a, a Sasquatch back in the 70s, and when he was Dude. in the Everglades. Um, my uh, still I had this whole. Is your oh, dad yeah. still alive? He is. He's in Okinawa, though, so you'll, you probably wouldn't be able to get him on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, for sure. <laughs> uh, he, and, and then um, my my mom, yeah, she's had all kind of ones, but uh, me and her experienced this whole black-eyed adult whenever I was, uh, I was about um, 13 years old or so. And then um, my daughter, oh, she saw, we were in, in Georgia, and she... <laughs> 
she saw this this ghost just standing in the middle of the 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 room and or yeah the in our house we were staying at right next to Lake Lanier, and um, apparently the same one was was spotted elsewhere. So that we have like so many so many of of, of uh, events have happened, but as far as the black eyed adult, so me and my mom were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we were in this little shopping pl plaza. This is uh, probably 1988 or 89. And um, I wanted to go into Radio Shack because I'm a big nerd. And so so she let me go in there. And she she went down to go look at clothes that was right next door in this other shop, this other store. And um, in between the store, her store and the one I was in, there's this like movie theater. So they had a, a large opening where you would have to walk across in order to get, you know, to the other side. And... She was in her, she was in the store, just, you know, looking at things. And then suddenly she got this, this foreboding sense of dread. And she's like, and the Lord said, go find, go find Malachi. And then she starts panicking. It's like, well, where is he? Where is he? Well, he's, he's where you, where you told him to be. And so she walks across and she sees this man hunched down, sitting, sitting down. And he has like a sombrero and a poncho on. And he, he just seemed really, really off to her. Just, uh, he just, just really bizarre. And so she walked past and she looked and he has these just black, black eyes, like darker than black. And it freaks her out. She, she walks over calmly, gets me. And she says, you, you gotta see this. And so <laughs> we, we get in our car cause we're not about to go walk by this guy again. We get in our car and we see a bunch of police officers like a bunch of uh, squad cars, about three or four of them. And they're all like, like, you know, situated around the front of that, of that a theater. And she's like, watch this, watch this. So she starts slow rolling by so we can, you know, we can uh, rubberneck and see everything's going on. And it's, you see these cops and they're just shaking in their boots. Their weapons are drawn and they have this, this bullhorn. And they say, sir, there's no loitering, right? So the fact that they have their weapons drawn for some guy who's just guilty of loitering is, is bizarre in itself. These yeah. guys are visibly shaken. So they were they were catching whatever vibe I guess my mom was. And so this man, he stands up and he's got to be at least seven and a half, eight feet tall. And this this poncho, you know, it was super long and he just kind of goes around and i could see him and his eyes it just looked like sockets it's just like just black and he starts walking and he goes around the corner of the building and me and her go to follow him and he's just just gone i mean and there's nowhere for him to go like he's just just disappears out of thin air um that was strange that was very strange <laughs> You think? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we ever. I don't think we ever frequented that place again. But we don't know what. I don't know what that was. I couldn't tell. Well, you. What was the cops' reaction? What the cops do? They well, they just made sure he left. I imagine the owners of the of the theater were like, "You got to get this dude out of here." You know, he's he's turning away guests. You know. Yeah. Uh, but when they showed up, the, I guess the first guy was like, "Yeah, I, I'm I'm out of my league. Uh, I need I need some backup on this," and. uh he, I, who knows? I would love to have seen the, the whole thing, but that's that's the part I saw, and it's um, pretty interesting. Say yeah, <laughs> I think we. I first heard about that story. I don't remember why the black-eyed children thing came up, but 
but we were yeah, talking about it. Was, one there, day. I think there was a there was a flap of of those things going around. Yeah, and we got to start talking to them. Like, hey, by the way, I don't know about <laughs> I don't know about kids, but I got this really tall right. creature, you know, and his skin was super dark too. Um, it was just really, really creepy, really awful. Dark like like dark like what? Not like, not, like a not, dark black man from Africa or dark. No, like, no. Uh, so he, he, his features were Hispanic. Um, and, and, and that could just be my memory. You know, uh, he, he was wearing a sombrero and a poncho. I yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but I do remember his skin was dark, but he, the reason why I pointed that out is because his, his eyes weren't dark because of contrast. They were, they were just, they were black. Like, like it that. wasn't. It wasn't because just of his. He was light skinned, mm-hmm. but he he was a really dark skinned, um, and his eyes were were so much darker than his skin. Yeah. Wow. I guess the I guess the uh, um, thing to say is that if a little two little children, a black guys come to your door, don't let them in. But if some seven foot, yeah, do uh, six <laughs> guy in a sombrero with black right. guys comes to your door, don't let him in either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Turn them away. All right. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, meet them at the end of the driveway. This has been super right. fun, man. And, you know, one of the reasons that I, I really, I, I was so glad that we hooked up last week to have you on is because this is just emblematic to me of the kind of discussions that I have all the time with people. And, and I don't know that a lot of people have. that you can take a, You can take something fun, like talking about a demon story, and then turn it in a way that, is I think the way that's Christ honoring and um, helps us go deeper in our faith. Um, right. Talking about his church and talking about people coming to know the Lord. And um, you know, one of, one of my goals right. and dreams for this podcast is to be able to just help people to experience that and see what it's like to be able to do that. So yeah, I'm really just super glad to have you on and tell those stories. Okay. And I would love to have you back on this thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Especially because you have a million more stories that you can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, put put them down in in order of in order of awe and uh, shock. What is it? Shock and awe. Yeah. Shock and awe. Right. How <laughs> to rate those? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is super fun. Is there anything you want to? Is there anything you want to promote or or tell us about or anything you like to tell uh, Yeah. Uh, Back Bay Church. If anybody's ever in the the Mississippi Gulf Coast, come look us up. Have some fun. Um, yeah. So backbaychurch.com, I believe, is our URL. But you may have to Google it. So <laughs> spell no, it. We will definitely spell do it that. for people. Right. right. Spell right. it out for people. Oh, oh. Back B A C K Bay B A Y and then Church okay. C H U R. And our, right. our claim to fame is we are the uh I think they were I don't know if we, yeah we I think we were the first church to accept um, uh, crypto. Oh really? Yeah, we were on a our our lead pastor. He was on a Fox News and being interviewed on it. It was pretty oh, cool. Funny. Yeah. Crypto crypto offering. There's right. a, there's another whole show right there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at that point, you could you could say you know, um, hey, listen, by the market last week, I gave more than you're counting. That's you right. So, <laughs> When your offering crashes because of the market, right? The, yeah, the widow's might could turn into thousands of dollars. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Did you? I tithe in Doge, right? 
<laughs> well, Malachi, we thank you for coming on the show, and it has just been awesome. It's been an honor. It's been so much fun to catch up with you again. Definitely. And, and we we look forward to having you back on the show yeah. sometime in the near yeah. future. So thank awesome, you all man. for for listening to uh, to our little program, our little podcast here, Giant Steps. And we would really love it if if you like the show, you like the content that we're giving you that you would uh, just you know follow us on social media do all the things that you're supposed to do with the like button and all that kind of stuff and and, we and to subscribe and subscribe right. yep subscribe to it and th those things help all the algorithms and the stuff that's important for helping us to get this information out to other people so uh thanks and we will see you again next time <laughs>